Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Mark Allen. Mark is author of The Magical Path and an internationally renowned seminar leader, entrepreneur, author, and composer. He co-founded New World Library with Shakti Gawain in 1977 and has guided the company as president and publisher from a small startup to its current position as a major player in the independent publishing world. He leads seminars in Northern California and offers online teleseminars that reach people all over the world. He's written several books, including The Greatest Secret of All, The Millionaire Course, Visionary Business, and others. He's also recorded several albums of original music, including Breathe, Quiet Moments, and his latest, Awakening. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. I'm so delighted to have you here. Uh, it's delightful to be here, Ursula. Thank you for your, your wonderful podcast. Well, I, uh, as I was sharing with you before we began, I, I read your book, Visionary Business, years ago when I first started as an entrepreneur, and it just has had a very deep effect on me. And uh, I've had a lot of successes since then, so I attribute some of that to the way I, I looked at business after reading your book. And this latest book, uh, The Magic Path, is uh, is another one that's really affecting me. So I'm, I'm really excited to get into conversation about it today. Oh, good. Me too. <laughs> so um, you entitled the book, The Magical Path. And some people look at that title and say, well, you know, is it, is it really such a thing as magic? And people have sometimes a negative connotation around that. What, what do you mean when you say magical path? I talk about that in the book. Uh, in a way, it's the same stuff that's in visionary business. Uh, and I say, you don't have to call it magical. What I define magical, uh, I even, I write about it. I say, even when I was very young, I was interested in real magic. I knew stage magic and I knew fantasy magic, like all the Harry Potter stuff, which is fun to watch, but it's, it's all fantasy and fiction. But mm -hmm. is there real magic? Uh, that's something that I really explored uh, in depth through my for many years, and uh, I've come to believe there definitely is, and I define it just as the forces of creation that we have in our lives and that we work with every day. We don't have to call it magic; we could call it strategic planning if we want. We can call it creative visualization if we want. We can call it all kinds of things. It's it's the same process. Uh, so I say there that uh, you, we all use visualization all the time, but most of us use it far more every day through our lives to create a lunch and a dinner rather than creating the kind of work that really inspires us or, or creating a bit of a better world. 
we rarely focus on those things. We far more often use our powers as masters of creative visualization to create a lunch. And that's, that's what I call magic too. It's the process of uh, where you sit there in the late morning, okay, you're getting hungry and your mind immediately says, what shall I have for lunch? It asks that question. Then what does your mind do but go through all kinds of different options? Hmm, should I have this, that, should I go there, should I do that? No, 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 no. You sit there and work through in your imagination exactly what you want, and then you create it in your imagination. Oh, I'll go do this. So then you have a visualization of your lunch. We do this every day if you eat lunch. Right. And then you, you then take the steps guided by that visualization necessary to manifest that lunch. That is creative visualization you can also call it a magical process. Well, I was, I was so struck by something you said in the book, and you just referred to it, that strategic planning is a form of magic in that you start with this visualization and then you hopefully take it to the next step of, of taking those steps you just described to create lunch. You take the steps you describe in your strategic plan and create a business out of it. So it's, right. yeah. Right, exactly. It is, uh, there's that famous quote of Einstein where he said, uh, there are two ways to look at the world. One is as if there are no miracles. The other is as if, every, as if everything is a miracle. Mm -hmm. I choose the latter. That is a brilliant way to phrase it and to look at the world. Everything is a miracle. Life itself, having arisen from what? From stardust, exploding stars, suddenly it's evolved to a point where we're these creatures with this elaborate DNA in every cell of our body. I can sit here making noises in my throat that go out as waves that are going into your ears and that you're making sense of in your brain. To me, that's a totally miraculous, magical process. <laughs> Yeah, well, you, um, you talk about a lot of different things in the book around how to bring that magic to life. And one thing that really struck me right from the beginning is you keep calling yourself lazy. And you said that um, the magical path is the short path and you include the hopelessly lazy. So can you talk a little bit about, you clearly have accomplished a lot of things in your life. So that's not typically what we consider lazy. Right, right. And I, I maybe, at least for me, redefining lazy. To me, lazy is is a very good thing. It's it's following your energy and sleeping whenever I feel like it. Uh, and so when I, I I had been in my twenties, uh, an actor in my early twenties, and then a musician in my late twenties, and I loved those hours. You never did anything before one in the afternoon, ever. <laughs> right. and, and I never was a morning person, even as a kid. I love sleeping in. So I decided the day I turned 30 is the day I, I, that changed my life, where I literally sat down. Uh, I woke up in a state of shock. I've told this story so many times, you've probably heard it, but I, I, I realized I wasn't a kid anymore. I was 30. I had no job. I'd had a band and it had broken up. Uh, I'd been on different spiritual paths. It had all fallen apart. 
uh, I had the opposite of the Midas touch in my 20s. Everything I touched fell apart. And uh, then I turned 30. And that day, I remembered a little game I'd played. Uh, and this tricked me into everything that followed it. The game was to imagine five years had passed and everything has gone as well as you can imagine. What does your life look like? And I had heard about that game and played it during a, a disastrous back to the land experiment I tried in my <laughs> early 20s. Uh, and I don't remember a word of what I said then when, when we played it when I was maybe 22. But when I turned 30, I remembered that game. I said, this is worthwhile. And this time I took a sheet of paper and wrote it down. I put ideal scene at the top. And much to my amazement, because I'd had no interest in business whatsoever, what spilled out was, I have a successful publishing company that cruises along, and I don't work too hard at it. And I write books, and I record my music, and I have a big white house on a hill. And then, because it was ideal, I stared at that word ideal scene, I, and, I really, and I added what is so, so far a fairly unique contribution to humanity. I said, oh, and I have a life of ease. I don't work too hard. I only work when I feel like it. And that's, that, that's like everyone's fantasy right there. <laughs> yeah, that, to me, it's a no-brainer. Would you rather have a life of ease or would you rather have a life of stress? Sure. You know, would I rather uh, get up at 6.30 in the morning and jump in the shower and grab a bus and go to some office? Or would I rather just sleep in until whenever I wake up, which is usually around 11, and uh, <laughs> take my time and have no particular place to go? I'll choose the latter every time. <laughs> well, um, some of the, I mean, you mentioned having a life of ease versus a life of stress. So from, from an entrepreneur's standpoint, that one of the things you talk about in the book is mastering money. And growing a business can feel really intimidating, especially if there are cash flow issues or a lack of capital to grow. How did you move through those issues in your business because you're you have a very strong and thriving publishing company now. yes yes uh, it it was an interesting process it, it finally dawned on me it, I came to see uh, I learned about business just by doing it I'm one of these people um, I plan very quickly I make a quick one-page plan the day I would turn 30, I made a one-page plan for my business, and I just jumped in. I just started a business. Uh, the, my first plan was really basic. It was read a used business 101 textbook and talk to people I know who know more about business than I do because I knew nothing about business. I didn't mm -hmm. know how banks worked. I, I knew nothing. I'd never taken a course or anything. So that was the beginning of it. And I just plunged in and I started a business. And it was chaos its first three or four years because I didn't know about money. I just spent whatever I needed. I had no financial controls. And finally, the right person came along. We hired as a bookkeeper a woman named Victoria Clark, who is still with me to this day. Wow. And and she had worked for a bank, and then she was a 
bookkeeper on her own for about four or five small businesses, a little jewelry company and stuff. And so we took her on as part-time bookkeeper. She immediately became CFO. She did this analysis <laughs> of our company and what we're spending. And she compared it. She did all this research on other publishing companies, their financial situation, and showed me exactly how to make a profit. She said, oh, here, you're spending way too much on editorial. You're spending way too much to print your books. You're not spending enough on marketing at all. And, uh, and so she really showed me how, how simple the basics are and how every industry you're in has all these uh, established things that, that successful companies have established through the years that'll show you like in, in publishing, you, can, you can't spend more than 25% of your income to develop more projects. On the whole editorial, the whole creation of a product has to, you keep your, your expenses below 25% of your income. You, mm -hmm. you keep printing a book of below 30%. You spend maybe 10% on marketing and about 25% on GNA, the overhead, everything else, salaries, rent, utilities. And if you do that, you make about a 10% profit. We were spending about, I didn't know because I wasn't even analyzing it. We were spending about 40 some percent on editorial wow. development. And we ended up, we were losing 15% every year and getting in trouble. So she came along and showed me that the financial side is not complicated at all. We all have to do it in our personal lives. We sure. all have to either make more than we spend or go into debt. And a company is just exactly the same way. So she taught me to really watch expenses, keep a downward pressure on expenses, and move quickly to the place where that income exceeds those expenses. Well, Victoria sounds like an incredible asset for the company that she was able to so quickly do these incredibly smart things about yeah. how to get, keep the business going. Yeah, she is. She's my right-hand woman. <laughs> That's great. Well, and it, it's, it's really great to have some insight in, into how you started as a publishing company because it's been a concern, going concern for a long time now. And I, I think authors sometimes find the whole publishing world sort of impenetrable and, uh, you know, a, a difficult one to, to access. So it's, uh, I, I had a conversation recently with Jeff Herman, who's a, a literary agent. And, right. uh, we publish his big Jeff Herman's guide. He yeah. does a wonderful, huge guide. We publish that. Yeah. 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 And Jeff is uh, just for people listening. Jeff's guide is uh, for writers to how to get your work published. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's, it's useful for people to, to kind of have that, that sort of insight. So, yeah. yeah. Well, well, one of, one of the things you talk about in the book too is around um, mastering time. So as an entrepreneur, I know I have often felt this and, and my clients certainly do that, that they're feeling pressed for time. So how you shifted that for yourself? Because the way you talk about your day just feels, you know, a little on the Margaritaville side, you know, you just kind of <laughs> sit back and things happen and it's, it's, you yes, know, it's true. It's and, the day I turned 30, I decided to experiment with that. I decided to go for my dreams 
but do it in my own lazy way and only work when I felt like it. My doubts and fears were absolutely sure it would not work. And most of my thoughts were absolutely sure it would not work. My own father had said, you've got to work 60 hours a week if you start your own company. You know, and I heard, I'd heard all these things. We have all these arbitrary numbers in our head of what we should work. Like we think a 40-hour work week is sort of the norm. That's completely arbitrary. To right. me, 40 hours is inhumane. I, I don't like to do anything, even something I really enjoy for 40 hours a week. So that I experimented. Literally the day I turned 30, I said to my doubts and fears, I'm going to go for these dreams, these goals I put down on paper, but I'm going to do it in an easy and relaxed way. They said it won't work. I said, look, give me a year to try it. Back off. Give me a year to experiment. It's a good idea. They said, impossible, wasted time. And I, said, I literally said to my dad's viewers, look, if it doesn't work, I won't be any worse off than I am now. Because I had no money. I had no job. I had no family support. I was scrounging every month. A word we used all the time to come up with $65 rent for this little slum apartment. It was the 70s. Rent was cheap. <clears throat> but that's how I got around my doubts and fears. I said, let me try it as a purely as an experiment. And if it doesn't work, I won't be any worse off than I am now. So mm -hmm. give me a break, doubts and fears. Let me do this. And so <laughs> I, I went for it. I went for my dreams, but I slept as late as I wanted. Now, in the very beginning, I have to say, full disclosure, I had no money at all, and I had no uh, understanding of how money worked. Now, in, in one of my books, The Millionaire Course, I list 12 great ways to raise money, 12 really good ways. And uh, there's all kinds of ways now to raise money, especially with the internet. Uh, but I didn't know any of that. So the, the, my first plan was, well, get a job, any job, and try to save 20% and put it in your publishing. So I did get a horrible job that started at 8.30 in the morning, <laughs> Which had, for you would be torture. Oh, and and it was a. <laughs> I had to get on BART, our Bay Area Rapid Transit, and ride out, and it was horrible. And I kept looking around for a better job, and I did. I found a better job nearby that started at four p.m. and went mm. to midnight. And that worked for me. Then I could sleep in, and then I had the afternoon to do my publishing and writing, and then I went to work. And then I got fired from that job for not showing up <laughs> on time. And uh, that was the best thing that happened to me because I ended up, uh, I was working as a typesetter and I, he fired me because I was at the beach in Santa Cruz one day and it was, we didn't have any work to do. And I knew that I called him and I said, I don't want to come in. We don't have any work to do tonight. You know, I'm, I'm taking off. And he said, I can't have my employees call me at the last minute. You're fired. So that turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I started typesetting on my own and immediately I was making three or four times the money per hour wow. and so could work fewer hours. And then I took it another step further and I hired my cousin to do the actual typesetting and I just did the marketing. I didn't even know that, you know, that word I wasn't even familiar with, but I basically just started bringing in work, putting her to work and I was making far more money working 15 hours a week, maybe 20, than I was before working 40. Hmm. 
Well, you referred to uh, talking to your doubts and fears, and so much of the book and and many of your books are are really about conversations with what you see as a positive outcome. So, how do you how do you balance that? Because one of the things that uh, you know spiritual guides often say is don't focus on your fears and. And uh, different writers have said, you know, put it in the back seat. Don't don't carry on so many conversations with it. How how do you balance that? You know, acknowledging doubts and fears and putting them in their place versus having a positive outlook and and allowing that to lead the way. Right, that's a good question. That's a real important question. I think uh, we all have been dealing with our doubts and fears since we were little tiny kids. We all know many ways to deal with doubts and fears. Uh, I, I, in fact, sometimes say the, the older I get, the simpler I see it, and there's just two essential things to have going for you. One is the dream. You've got to dare to dream. You've got to have a dream, of course. Like Thoreau said, of course, our castles should be built in the air. That's, that's the only thing we can do. That's using our imagination. We build our castles in the air. We dare to dream. That's the first essential, to have that dream of a better life, of a better world. I have a dream. That's the first essential. Then the second essential is to deal with the doubts and fears that inevitably arise as soon as we dare dream. Doubts and fears will arise in all of us, all of us. It's part of being human. So how do we deal with those? That becomes an ongoing thing. And I have dealt with them successfully by dialoguing with them, like I just told about. I, I just did an interview with a new author of ours named Scott Stabile, who did a book called Big Love. And he was hilarious. He said he realizes he looks at his fears as like a little four or five-year-old kid. He said fears aren't very smart. And he said he imagines his fear like a little four-year-old obnoxious brother that always <laughs> is pulling at his pant leg saying, don't do that, don't do that. He said sometimes it's good, like when it says don't run in, out into that crowded freeway you know, full of speeding traffic. Don't go down that dark alley with those people in the shadows. Sometimes that, that fear is very good. But a whole lot of the time, that fear is just overreacting, especially where it says, don't, don't write that book. Don't, don't start that business. Don't, don't do that career. That's scary. You might fail. That fear mm. of failure is a big one for so many people. Every successful person I've known has overcome that and realized it's okay to fail. In fact, you probably will fail on your way to success. Look at how many times a little child falls flat on their face before they learn to walk, you know? Look at, we're like that when we start something new. We're, we may fail, big deal. I have a very successful friend in theater in Minneapolis who said to me, he said, we should celebrate glorious failure. <laughs> that was his phrase. You know, when you fail, you should throw a big party 
and really celebrate it because, hey, you went for it. You went for your dreams. You totally blew it. You blew all your money. Your, your house is mortgage. You're in deep trouble. But you went for it. You went for it. Good for you. So now get back up on your feet and go for it again, you know? Off you go. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Well, Mark, I'm really curious about something because I, this is something I wrestle with at times is this whole question of having an impact. And the way I define impact is where your unique self and, and business, in some cases, meet the world and contribute to making it a better place for all of us. So there are people in the spiritual world who kind of say, yeah, you know, impact, not so much. It's, it's more of, a, of an inner job coming out into the world. And I certainly believe in that aspect, but I also think it's important to think about the effect we're having on people. So what are, what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. I, I think it's, yes, I think it's very good to reflect on impact. Uh, that's quite unique, Ursula. I've never been asked about impact in quite the same way. And I'm glad you're thinking of that because our lives do have impact. What everyone's life has an impact. Everything we do, uh, it it is like a, a stone in a pond, and the circles radiate out for good or ill. You know, when we when we do something that really harms someone, we have this negative impact in the world. Uh, you know, when we have people leading our country that are totally clueless and that don't know anything about partnership that has a tremendously negative impact all around the world. Whatever we do has an impact. And I think it's very good to think about it. I think this, when you say the spiritual types that some of them are saying they, they don't want to think about it or they're, I think. They don't want their focus to be there. Or the, Yeah, their focus to be there. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a good point there because there is, a balance. There is a polarity always between inner and outer and what we, what we do within. And I think the best thing we can do to have the best impact is to really look within and really discover our own heart and our own guidance and follow the finest, highest, guidance for us follow our spirit and then the impact will take care of itself mm. like i know i i'm a friend of eckhart tolle and the power of now and I, I once asked him why he thought that book was so successful or i could have said why did he think it had such a great impact right. in the world and he said all he knows is that he waited to write every sentence until it came from presence and I thought, wow. ah, that's it. That's so he really tuned within by presence. He really meant that quiet state beyond thought within, you know, presence being. Silence is another word he used for it. And emerging from silence was every sentence of that book. And that's why it had such a great impact. He never. Mm -hmm thought about his impact in the world, I'm sure about it. Yeah. But 
that's why, because he was so connected with his own presence and his own heart that the book, yeah, you know, has had such great impact. Yeah, I think people can really sense that. People can really feel how deeply that is anchored. Yes, every in, sentence of that book. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what, I mean, when you think about the work that you have done, what do you think is the biggest what impact that you've had in the work you've done? The biggest impact? Uh, I, <clears throat> I do sometimes reflect on it. I, I think... Uh, as you get to be a certain age, I'm over 70 now, and you do, you start thinking of legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems natural. You just look back and say, uh, you know, and that, that's, that's a good way to, to look at impact is another way to, to look at legacy, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. So I know, I mean, my books will continue to have an impact. May, who knows? Who knows? But probably the the thing that's had the most impact is is my publishing company, and books starting with creative visualization that I published that had a huge impact at the time, and then oh, the whole body of work. But to me, the power of now is the crown jewel of the publishing company so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, that book has changed many many lives yeah absolutely and so of my books i i get emails quite often and comments quite often from people that say oh i found your book visionary business or something and it changed my life and i always i love hearing that it it shows the book does have an impact yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things you, you talk a lot about in, in the Magical Path is a world that works for all. And you talk about it in the context of work relationships and in the world in general. So can you talk a little bit about what, what does that mean to you, world that works for all? I encourage people to start dreaming of a world that works for all and creating this vision I'm not the first, a lot of people have done, Buckminster Fuller said in the Mm. 60s that we now have the technology and the resources to house and feed and educate everyone on the planet. So let's do it. You know, we, we can create a world that works for all. It will mean a a real partnership. It will mean learning to work in partnership with everyone to quit demonizing groups, to quit fighting each other and all work in partnership and realize that every individual can do something. Every corporation, the individuals need to work in partnerships with businesses and corporations and the corporations need to work with all these nonprofits and all these governments, basically every organization we've got going if we can embrace and work in partnership, we can make great changes on a smaller level. It's in my own little company, for instance, I'm making a a better world for a lot of people by this little model that I wish would spread to every corporation, which includes partner uh, partnership with every individual that works there in the form of profit sharing, 
where every individual gets profit sharing. Well, if every corporation would do that, that would completely transform this whole uh, uneven shift of wealth that's happened in our country over the last, ever since Reagan, where the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Well, we need to change that. And one way to change that is for every corporation, Walmart should do this, McDonald's should do this, the post office should do this, take a chunk of their profits, a big chunk of their profits, and divide them among all their employees and get each of their employees to have a wonderful, well-balanced portfolio, a pension plan, and get solidly into the middle class and get their feet under them. That's how the, to work with individuals. And then those individuals, once they have some solid resources, can really start contributing substantially to nonprofits. It's a really great example of how you can do something within your own business to have impact, to, to really help create work relationships that are more collaborative, that are partnership oriented, because if you're profit sharing, you become a partner in the business. The business's success is so tied to your own beyond a simple salary. Yes, I have no doubt. I, when I started the company, I read this, just this article on a plane I happened to read about a failing Swiss hotel that brought in this manager. The manager said, I'm gonna turn this around and I'm gonna do it by giving half the profits to the employees. And the owners, there were like 18 owners around the table. They started to object. He said, uh, you're losing money. You're losing right. money. Watch. Watch what happens when you give half the profits to the employees. Almost any business, if you gave half the profits to employees, in a very short time, you would double your profits because every employee starts thinking like an owner. Every employee gets a lot smarter. <laughs> and really yeah. contributes to the bottom line. And, and uh, I just read that, and so I went to my people. I said, I wanna do this. I wanna give half my profits to employees, so show me how to make a profit. And there was an incredible change in the whole corporate culture, and, mm -hmm. and a bunch of amateurs, which we were, became <laughs> serious professionals. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the more engaged people are, the more fulfilled they are. They talk about their work. People start to hear, wow, New World Library had this awesome place to work and, and take more notice. They become kind of un informal ambassadors for the company, which yes. pays off in very direct financial ways, too, even, even in terms of how they're engaging with people outside the company. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have a great profit sharing pension plan. If people day they really build wealth our average employee now i was just looking at the average has been there 18 years wow it's, mark that's know, quite an accomplishment that's that's a rare thing especially now yeah and the thing is every company could do it and i i don't know why more don't get the the concept i, I really don't know why walmart yeah, once the you know the the family's worth sixty billion or something, that's plenty. Why don't from now on? Why don't they give half their profits to their employees? Yeah, it, it's a very different way of looking at success and business because you know the old model is always more, 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 more profit, and it's it's a it's an unbalanced approach in my view to business because along the way, I mean, the argument has always been that. 
well, if people are making a lot of money, then they'll use the money to the benefit of others. Well, what if you're benefiting people along the way and let them benefit others uh, on their own? Uh, uh, duh. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, I do love that. The concept of the triple bottom line is catching on, and I like mm -hmm. that triple bottom line. Profits, yes, are very important. They're the lifeblood of an organization. You've got to make a profit to be alive. But there's yeah. also the planet and people. And by people, I'm, you mean you, you take care of your own employees and the communities that you operate in. And yeah. you take care of the whole planet. And people and planet are just as important as profit. Just mm -hmm. as important. Well, and that whole... Um, idea triple bottom line b corps conscious capitalism companies it is catching on because i think the profit model is failing that you're seeing companies go through you know a lot of difficulty and with a simple profit focus that other companies they seem to manage through difficult times more because people are more engaged by where they're working and they're they stay with it that's true. If your focus is just on profit, and as so many big companies, you know, will talk about shareholder returns, and they mean just on profit, they're going to make decisions that aren't best for their people or the planet. And they're mm -hmm. not going to make the best decisions if you're just focused on profit. I mean, look at the you know, huge companies that have gone down and all the, the crashes in 08, that was all just about profit. Or Enron before that was once the seventh largest company in the U.S. And they completely fell On paper. Just, yeah, on paper, <laughs> right, on paper. Right. <laughs> Turned out the yeah. paper was uh, worthless. <laughs> well, Mark, one of the things that you have on the last page of your book is you summarize, and I, I'm it's probably in, on every newer library book. I hadn't noticed it till I read yours. But um, you summarize the, the social and environmental ways that your company is contributing to creating a world that works for all. So you're being very transparent about it, which is kind of another norm in that world of, of looking at business as a uh, not just a taker, but a contributor. Right. So is, why is that? Why did you choose to do that? Why is that important well, to you? We we had like the really bright marketing people came in and said, "Look, you're doing all these good things. Okay. You should make it clear to people because more people would buy your stuff, maybe, or, or at least they feel better about it when they do buy your stuff. To know that we give a percentage of our profits go to all kinds of nonprofits, and we we were one of the first companies ever to to do 100% recycled books." They were a lot more expensive to print at first. And it was frustrating for years because the big publishers would not use recycled paper because it was more expensive. But if the big publishers would have used it, the, the because of the amount of the demand, the price, price would have come down. Yeah. And uh, so for it took years for the prices to come down. Uh, but still, we, we wanted used recycled paper, soy-based inks, take care of the earth uh, as, mu as much as we can to have a, not a negative impact on the earth, even though we're, we're using paper. I wish we'd use hemp. I wish they'd develop hemp paper. Our, our constitution was printed on hemp paper. 
Really? Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, a wonderful, you know, resource that uh, marijuana grows like crazy and makes <laughs> great paper, great clothes, you know. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a more renewable resource than yeah. a tree. Yeah. It takes time to grow. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, Mark, I so love this conversation, and I, I, I always end these interviews with the three questions, a rapid round. So are you, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So what's, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? You know, that's, that's a wonderful question. No one's really asked that before. But I, th I think the biggest thing I've learned about impact is the more I can focus within and come from heart, the greater the impact will be. And I don't have to think about it. It will take care of itself. That's great. Um, Second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? From early on, I have affirmed that I am following my spirit every moment. I'm following my inner guidance every moment. And I still, to this I walk out every moment and I just say, guide me. And I try to follow that guidance that comes from presence, as Eckhart would say, from a deep place within, rather than from my active rational mind or from other people telling me I should do this or should do that, I do pray to be guided by, and again, it gets down to heart. If I can follow my heart, I end up doing the things that have the greatest impact in the world. I'm going to take a little detour here and just ask, what are a couple of practices or things you do to help tap into that inner guidance? I really, I pray for it. I, whenever I don't know exactly what to do or a question comes up, should we do this or that? I will go off alone into my office and shut the door and I'll relax and and go to a deep, quiet place and, and literally ask for guidance. And I'll sit there till I find it. And sometimes it takes me a while. What well, goes back to what you're saying about Eckhart, Eckhart Tolle's yes. saying presence is in every sentence. And it's, I mean, in order to hear that inner guidance, you have to be present. Yes. Present even, to yourself. You even said he started writing it on the west coast of California in Sausalito. Then he went back to England, and he couldn't write in England. He said yeah, he tried like it over and yeah. over. He couldn't write, and then he came back to the West Coast to Vancouver, and he finished it in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's something special about about the West Coast of North America for sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, the last rapid round question is: What's one What's one piece of advice you'd share, or an insight that you've had that you'd tell someone who's saying, "I want to have." I want to have impact. I want to contribute in a way that helps yes, the world work for everyone. I think the best thing I can do is just encourage people to follow their dreams, dare to dream and follow your heart in the magical path. I, I have a chapter on Kabbalah and I realized I've learned a very simple thing with Kabbalah. 
looking at the whole tree of life and everything that I talk into in the chapter, what it gets down to very simply is saying we have a male side and we have a female side and they meet in the center and we have a, a, a spiritual body, a mental and emotional and physical through that, through the, our center core. And when we get a spiritual impulse that gets a focused idea, a focused idea in our mind that then our heart gets totally supportive of, or, or if the idea comes from heart, whatever, when we have heart and mind focused together on a dream, that's what it manifests. It's, if our mind gets off to the left or right, or da, 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 or if our emotions get on a roller coaster, da, 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 it can make things more difficult to manifest. But if we can keep a clear dream, a clear idea that our heart is fully engaged in, if we do what we love, then creation happens, magical mm -hmm. creation. I love the way you integrate the two, heart and mind. It's not it's not one or the other. It's both. Really yes, coming. both working together. Yes. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being here today. I I mean, I've learned so much from you over the years and uh, it's been my honor to share uh, your insights in our conversation today. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Ursula. I I really enjoy your work alchemy focus. Uh, good work. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Thank you. Well, if, if people want to get in touch with you or find your book, what are, what's the best way for them to, to do that? There's markallen.com. I'm just starting a teleconference on writing and publishing. Uh, M-A-R-C-A-L-L-E-N.com. You can see about my books and my music. Great. Well, thank you for the work you're doing in the world, Mark. Thank you, Ursula. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.